This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Now, as I stop crying after praying over my senior, you can turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 16. Proverbs uh, 16. I've been so just encouraged over the last few weeks as we've walked through these just really important topics over the last uh, few weeks that are here in the end of the book of Proverbs. God has given us so much just clear and practical instruction on how to walk with him. And sometimes we have this thought that, that the Bible is not practical for us. And the reality is God has something to say about almost every area of your life. And we get the opportunity to continue to talk about that this morning. How many of you under have, have ever struggled knowing the will of God? Trying to figure out how to make a big decision. Maybe trying to decide where to go to college. Maybe trying to decide who to marry. Maybe trying to decide what job to take or if you should move to a different city. Maybe you've struggled with what church to join. I talk to people all the time who are thinking about which church to join. Life is just filled with really big decisions, often very difficult to make. I would imagine almost all of us have at some point in our life struggled with what is God's will for me in this situation. I want to ask you a little bit of a more honest question. I'm not going to get you to raise your hand, but how many of you in searching for the will of God have done something that now looking back, you realize was probably pretty dumb? You've looked for some sign. Okay, a bunch of people raised their hand. You've looked for a, uh, you've looked for a sign from God. You've actually asked for God for some specific sign You've wanted some moment of divine revelation where God speaks to you in some audible way. Maybe you laid out a fleece. Maybe you said, Lord, if this happens and this happens and this happens, then I'm going to know that this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. Maybe you have at some point in your life just done one of these. Lord, I'm just looking for a verse and whatever it is, I'm going to do what you say to do. And the Lord said to Moses, take a census of the people of Israel. And you think, well, that's, you know, no help at all. It can be really frustrating. It can be really hard. I think particularly for those who maybe have a little bit more of a sensitive conscience, just the way in which God's wired you and a desire to really do what God has called you to, to do and not miss what God has called you to do. This can be such a frustrating thing. And particularly if you might have been taught something which I wish you hadn't have been taught, which is this idea that there is a perfect will of God and a permissive will of God, and God will permit you to do all kinds of things, but there is one perfect thing God wants you to do, and if you don't get that, the rest of your life is basically just done. Many of you have heard that and have felt that way, and if, and if you have been raised to think that there is only one perfect will of God, then you can find yourself overwhelmed with anxiety, debilitated, unable to make a decision, because you just don't want to miss the will of God. But have you ever made a plan and really believed you were doing what God has wanted you to do, or maybe just in your mind mapped out, some of you are planners, kind of mapped out the way in which you think that things were going to work, and none of those things have worked out? You planned to be married by now. You planned to have children by now. 
You plan to have retired by now. You plan to be independently wealthy by now. You plan for all of your children to walk with Jesus. You planned to be healthy at this stage of your life. We have this ability in our minds to just make plans and imagine how things are going to happen. And it's easy for us to grow cynical when God doesn't do what we think God should do. It's even more easy to grow cynical when we really sought the Lord on something. I mean, we just thought this is exactly what God wanted us to do. And then nothing seemed to work out the way that we expected it, the way we believe God promised it. It is so easy to get hurt and often angry and honestly confused at how in the world do any of us ever know what God wants us to do. And I've discovered that there is a bit of a spectrum in people's view On one side over here is someone that will not move without a clear word from God. And they are often finding themselves unable to move because they don't know exactly what God wants them to do and they just don't want to miss it. And so they wait and wait and wait and wait and often die waiting for God to tell them what to do. And over here is the person who just doesn't consider God at all. And maybe that's you. You just kind of move through life very thoughtless about God. You don't pray about things. You're not seeking a lot of wise counsel. You're not searching what it is that God wants you to do. And I would say both of those ends of the spectrum are wrong. Both of those are ungodly. But the challenge is, is that everything in between those two is equally confusing and frustrating. I mean, if we're just honest about it, there's this incredible tension within the word of God as to the sovereignty of God over here and the will of God over here and then my responsibility to make decisions and to do things. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves over here unable to move forward with just joy and confidence because we're so afraid we're going to miss God or over here living a thoughtless life without any recognition of God or just cynical and bitter and angry and upset. God doesn't want you to live that way. God wants you to walk with a sense of responsibility, but an overwhelming sense of his sovereignty, with a lot of joy and a lot of confidence and a lot of peace. And that's exactly what Proverbs 16 teaches us how to do. It really balances the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And it shows us how we can make good plans, listen, but then trust God to come up with a better plan. So let's read Psalm 16 verses one through nine. Proverbs, I said Psalms, didn't I? Don't read that. It's a great chapter, but let's read Proverbs 16, 1 through 9. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked For the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And I would say about verse 5, this end of the spectrum of the one who never thinks about the Lord and never seeks the Lord is the one who is arrogant of heart. Verse 6, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness 
than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I want to give you from Proverbs 16, three truths about plans. And how is it that we understand and navigate the will of God throughout our lives? There are three truths about plans. And because uh, this is something all of us struggle with, and I'm praying and hoping this is extremely practical for you, I would encourage you to write these things down. The first one is this. You must embrace reality. You must embrace reality. And the reality of Proverbs 16 is this. God is sovereign over everything in your life. God is completely sovereign and in ultimate control of everything in your life. Theologians speak of this in two ways. First, they speak of the sovereignty of God, which is God's right to rule however he pleases. It is God's right and his power to do whatever he pleases. Job 42.2 says God has made his purposes. Listen to this, Job 42.2, and his purposes will not be thwarted. God is never surprised. God is never confused. God is never anxious because he didn't see that coming. Everything that is happening in the world is happening because of the purposes and plans of God. Ephesians 1.11 says that God is working. God is actively working all things according to the counsel of his will. And Proverbs 16 emphasizes over and over the sovereignty of God. But the other word that we use to talk about this is the providence of God. And this is important. Because the sovereignty of God is his right and power to do whatever he pleases. But his providence, you could say, is his wise sovereignty. So it's not just that God is sovereign. It is that in his providence, the decisions that he is making are good. Do you know that? The decisions he's making are good. That the decisions he makes are right. That there is love and there is care and there is concern and there is thought there is concern for every one of us. There is an understanding about our lives and about the world. He understands every implication. And not only is he able to rule, but he is ruling with wisdom and kindness and grace and love. His sovereignty and his, his providence that he's working for our good. And both of those are emphasized in this chapter. One of the primary ways that we see that is through the repetition of the word Lord. Did you notice that? It's a little unique in the book of Proverbs to see this much repetition, but here it is eight times in these verses. The answer, verse one, is from the Lord. The Lord is the one who weighs the spirit, verse two. Verse three, you should commit your work to the Lord. Verse four, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. Verse five, the arrogant is an abomination to the Lord. Verse six, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Verse 7, a man's ways are to be pleasing to the Lord. Verse 9, the Lord is establishing his steps. That word Lord there in all caps is a word that we get in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses is told by the Lord to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And Moses asks a good question. Well, when I go, who should I say sent me? And when your people ask, what gives me the authority to do this? Who should I say it is that called me to do this? And his answer is, tell them that I am sent you. Tell them the one who is 
has sent you. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. It is a word that means the self-existence of God. God does not need anything, nor does God need anyone in order to be God. He is God. He is completely self-existent, and he is completely sovereign over all things. He is the king of kings, the ruler of all of the universe. And so just say, I am. I am the one. I am all things. I am self-existent. I am the one who has been sent to you. And so the Lord has given us in his grace a little phrase to say, or a little word to say all of that, and the word is Lord, Yahweh. But it is a reference to the sovereign rule of God over all things. And look at verse 4. Verse 4 is an incredible statement of the sovereignty of God. The Lord has made everything, everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Every single thing that has been made has been made for the purposes of God. Even the wicked have been created for the purposes of God. And so when we think that God has no control of the wicked or no control over nature, nor control over governments and no control over people, we come to Proverbs 16, 4 and says that everything that God has created, he has created for a purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God is sovereign over all of nature, over all of the affairs of government and over every single person in every detail of your life. God is ruling and reigning over all of the things. And it is impossible for God to be surprised by something that has happened in your life. But it's not only that. It's kind of all of these statements here about what it is that God, that God does. You kind of see his sovereignty and his providence together. Because look at verse 1. It is the Lord who gives the answer of the tongue. So the Lord is sovereign over the tongue. It is the Lord who is sovereign over the spirit. He's weighing the motives of the spirit. He is sovereign in verse 3 over plans. He is sovereign over everything. He is sovereign over the wicked in verse 4. In verse 5, he is sovereign over justice. And the reason that we are not to take our own vengeance in big ways or small ways is because of what it says in verse 5. God takes care of the wicked. And everyone will receive the punishment that they deserve. He is sovereign over all of our enemies, verse 7. And verse 9, he is sovereign over every one of our steps. Now look at the last verse of this chapter in verse 33. Talking about a statement of God's sovereignty. It says, the lot is cast into the lap. So the dice are rolled. But every decision, everywhere they fall, even the rolling of the dice is from the Lord. Josiah and I were at a soccer game at Veterans Park a few weeks ago, and uh, a lady looked at him that was sitting there in a chair. We didn't know her, and, and she said, you have a ladybug that's landed on you. He goes, oh, okay. And she goes, that means you're about to have good luck. And I think she was just talking, but Josiah was intrigued by this. He said, well, what do you mean? Well, if a ladybug lands on you, that's good luck. And he says, well, when am I going to have that? And she said, today. He said, Really? said, yes, good luck today. So we get in the car and he talks to me about this. He says, uh, dad, I'm going to have good luck today. And a few hours later, we're outside in the yard. And he says to me, dad, I, I haven't had good luck yet today. <laughs> okay. We get in bed that night. I promise you all this is true. We get in bed and he says, dad, I didn't have any good luck today. I was really disappointed. And there was the best part. At the next soccer game, he went over to that lady and he said, I didn't have any good luck. told her. And I felt that that moment is, is probably a good time for us to have a conversation about luck. That the reality is there is no such thing as luck. 
There's no such thing as luck. There is a good and a gracious God who is ordaining everything in our lives for our good and for his glory. And God has given us every heavenly, every blessing in the heavenly places. It's all ours. We don't need good luck when we have the providence of God. We don't need good luck when we have the sovereignty of God. Now, I will tell you this. I had a friend in college that got convicted. This is a true story. He got convicted that we should never say good luck anymore. And so he started to say to people, providential blessings. That's accurate, but dumb and weird. So I'm not sure you should say that. <laughs> Providential blessings. There is no such thing as luck in your life. We're not dependent upon luck. There is a loving and gracious and sovereign God who is doing all things for a purpose. Psalm 135, 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Now, I would say if you, if you feel maybe the way I felt as I begin to study this text, that these statements on the sovereignty of God don't necessarily help us initially when we think about how to determine the will of God. Doesn't it make it feel fatalistic? Well, what does it matter if I determine anything? Because God's going to do whatever he pleases. Doesn't it feel futile to think and to plan if God is going to do whatever he wants to anyway? Can often feel a little bit frustrating. Well, I, how does this help me? It's because there's another side of this. You must embrace reality. God is sovereign over all things. But let me tell you the second truth. You must embrace responsibility. God has called you to plan. He's called you to make decisions. You must embrace responsibility. Proverbs 16 is very clear. There is no virtue in being passive. There is no virtue in letting go and letting God. There is no virtue waiting year after year to get a word from God when there is something that God wants you to do today. You have a responsibility in this. I was thinking this week about Psalm 127.1 that says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. That's such a great picture of what we're talking about because the only way a house is built is by labor and there's an expectation of labor. So if you buy a field and you go out into that field and say, Lord, it says that unless the Lord builds the house, it's in vain. So Lord, I'm just waiting for you to build the house. Well, you're gonna live outside. <laughs> like I'm just telling you, you're gonna be living outside, you're gonna be camping. If that's your thing, keep doing it. But like, you don't just pray, Lord, build a house and the house is built. It says those who build it labor. And you're supposed to labor. It is good and right to labor. It is good and right to work. And a house is never built without labor. But yet all of that labor comes with an understanding that unless the Lord blesses this labor, the labor doesn't amount to much. So that's what we have here is this awareness of God's good and love and sovereignty and providence over all things. And yet this responsibility to, to do something. Proverbs 16 tells us that in that in that responsibility, there are really four primary responsibilities every one of us has when it comes to determining the will of God. The first one is this. You have the responsibility to plan. You have the responsibility to plan. Listen, life demands planning. Life demands thought. Life demands some organization. Life demands that you work hard and you make good decisions. And so look at verse 1. The plans of a heart belong to man, which means you are to have plans. God expects you to have plans. In verse 3, it says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. God expects you to have plans. Look at verse 9. The heart of a man plans his way, which means there's an expectation that the Lord has upon your life to make good plans. 
to move forward, to think carefully about your life and about your business and about your family, to take every area of life and be thoughtful about it, to bring God into it, to just make plans. The whole reason we have the book of Proverbs is because instead of God giving us the exact answer to every decision that we need, what he does is he gives us a book like Proverbs to show us how to have the wisdom to make good decisions and to make plans. Listen to some of these verses. Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. So make plans and seek wisdom. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions for the harvest. The wise person works hard, is diligent, makes plans, and keeps moving in a right direction. Listen, you should want in your family life and in your work life and in your school life to do well and to be successful. Those things are good and right. Proverbs 20, 18, prepare plans by consultation. There's a command, prepare plans by consultation. In Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. Those who make plans do better than those who don't make plans, period. If you make plans, things seem to go better. So God's expectation is for you to make plans. But the other responsibility is this, you plan and then you examine those plans. That's the next responsibility. To plan and to examine, that's verse two. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. We always think we're doing what's right. But the Lord weighs the spirit. The Lord looks beyond our plans and he looks at the intention of our heart. What motivates the plans? And even though it says that the Lord is the one who examines the heart, there's a responsibility of us as well to examine the plans that we're making. We can often be blind to our own motivation and certainly the final evaluation is always up to the Lord. But this is a call to examine our hearts and to examine God's word and to take our plans and match them with the word of God and to take our plans and to say, Lord, I wanna make sure that my heart is right here. I wanna make sure that in this plan, I am seeking first the kingdom. I wanna make sure that what I want from this plan is what you want from this plan that I'm seeking more than anything to walk with you. I think Psalm 139, 23 and 24 is helpful here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. This is a prayer I promise you the Lord will answer. Lord, know my heart. I don't, I don't know my heart. Like, I don't know what motivates me. So Lord, search it. Is there any sin in me? Is there any bad motivations in me? Is there something that I'm wanting that's not you? Is there something I want that is not good for my family? It's not good for my connection to the church. Lord, if you're calling me, or if, you, if I think you're calling me to a decision that's not good for my family and doesn't give priority to my church, then Lord, that's not a good decision. So examine my heart. Last week, we talked about our need for friends. It's one of the reasons you need a church. You need people around you who know you well enough to look at you and help you make a good decision and a wise decision. We talked about this extensively last week. Who do you have in your life that's close enough to you and that walks with Jesus that can help you examine the condition of your heart to make sure the decisions you're making are good and right? So this is what it means by exam. We take our plans and say, Lord, I, I'm planning, I'm organizing, but Lord, I, I want to examine this plan to make sure what I'm doing is right. It's almost as if we plan, we organize, and then we just stop for a minute. Say, okay, Lord, before I move forward, I just want to examine my heart. I want to examine the plan. I want to take a deep breath. 
Lord, I wanna make sure the way in which I'm moving is pleasing to you. And God has given us his word and the guidance of friends to help us to do that. So we plan, we examine. The third one is this, we trust. We trust. This is a responsibility we have. That's verse three. Just kind of walks through this. Make plans, verse one. Examine the plans, verse two. Three, commit your work to the Lord. That word commit is a word that was used to roll a rock uh, basically on the top of a well to close up that well. First Peter 5, 7, we have this little verse that says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Listen to me, that's the same word. You take your cares and you roll them up on the Lord because you can't carry them, but he can. And so what it says is when it says, commit your ways to the Lord, you've taken your plans, you've examined your plans, and then at some point, you just have to take your plans and you have to give them to the Lord. You say, I'm doing what I believe is best. I've sought your word, I've sought counsel, I've made plans, and I'm gonna walk forward, but I'm gonna walk forward having surrendered these plans to you. And say, God, I think they're right, but, but you have to help me know that these things are right. And then at some point, I've just got to move forward. And when I think about the way in which we kind of roll our plans into the Lord, we just trust the Lord. To me, that's not fatalism, that's optimism. Fatalism would say, well, it doesn't matter, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. Optimism is this, God, you have given me the ability to make wise decisions. I've made this decision, I'm moving forward, but here's the optimistic thing. I'm also trusting that you've got a better decision, you're gonna make that decision. What an incredible way to live. To know I'm gonna move forward, I'm gonna do what I think is best, but God, I'm gonna trust you to intervene in my life to do something that is better. Because when God interrupts your plans, it's because he's got a better plan. It's because he sees things that you don't see. What an incredible thought that is. And I think we have so much encouragement from that. That's why I kind of think we stop here in verses four through six. And it says this, listen, know this, that everything that God does and makes, he has a purpose behind. Listen to me, church. God has a purpose in everything he does. In every plan he changes. In every direction he takes you. He's got a purpose in all of those plans. And verse five tells us that, that God is the one who is taking care of all of the people around us. We may think they're coming against us, but God is taking care of those things. And listen to verse six. Behind all of our plans and all of the change of our plans, we have the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Do you see what it says here? By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Would you write down one verse? I wanna make sure you get this. Romans eight thirty two. All of Romans 8 is, is a perfect cross-reference for this text, but you've got to get Romans 8.32 right here with that verse. Because Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his only son, will he not also freely give us all things? So the point of that verse is to say this, listen, you question what God is gonna give you. You question God's goodness and kindness. He didn't spare his own son. And if he did not spare his own son, will he then withhold something good from you? And the reason that's so perfect because it's talking about the atoning of our sins from the loyal, steadfast, committed love of God. And what it says is this, is that God loves you so much that he did not want to leave you in your sins in this life or in all eternity. So he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be an atonement for your sins. Your sins had to be paid for. But instead of you paying for them, Jesus Christ died that by the shedding of his own blood, your sins might be forgiven. 
And the one who never knew any sin became sin for us so that instead of our sin, we might receive the righteousness of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way in which you receive righteousness and be declared righteous before a holy God is simply to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I deserve to go to hell, but I'm trusting Jesus Christ to take all of my sins and my hell for me. All of my wrath put upon Jesus and I'm asking you to save me from my sins and every one of you has to come to a moment where you do that. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church on Mother's Day with mom. What matters is if you've come to a place where you've truly trusted Christ. But here's the confidence. Once you do that, then you walk around with this confidence that God is not gonna withhold good from you. God has so much in store for you and your idea of good might not be God's idea of good, but God's idea of good is better than your idea of good. And God's plans are better and God's ways are better and everything that God is doing, he is doing for our good. He loves you and he cares about you. And at some point, you just have to move forward with your plans and trust that the God who did not spare Jesus is the God who is gonna lead you in the path of righteousness for his namesake. The fourth and last responsibility is this. You plan, you examine your heart, you roll those things into the Lord. And that really is an act in which you say, Lord, I give you these plans. I surrender them to you. I'm going to move forward. But if you have something better, then God, I'll receive that. And the last one is this. You got to just go and do something. You got to go and do something. You got to move. You've got to act. You don't wait your whole life for this clear word from God. You make a plan. You examine it. You receive guidance from people in the word of God. You commit to it. You trust it. And you just walk in it. And you walk forward with the confidence, listen, that nothing will thwart God's good plan for you in your life. You walk forward with the confidence that God's plans are better than your plans. You walk forward with the confidence of verse 9, that you're planning your way, but the Lord is establishing your steps. And so you get free from being paralyzed by fear or worry. You get free from the constant burden that I can't miss the perfect will of God. No, you make a plan, you trust the Lord, you seek guidance, and then you just move forward with confidence. God is not trying to trick you. He's not trying to deceive you. He loves you so much and he is so good. And if you're walking with the Lord, you can just walk forward with the confidence that God is sovereign and good over your life. I think one of the best examples that we've experienced as a church recently is last year as we began to talk about building a new building. This is a big deal uh, for our church. I think this is also a good moment for me to remind you that I really don't want to go to three services in the fall, which we're going to do. So we need four million left in commitments before we can build a new building. This is, if you heard me say amen. 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 That was terrible. See, that's the problem right there. <laughs> if you heard me say Amen. Amen. I receive that as your commitment in the name of the Lord. So, uh, but I think about the fact that for a year, I just prayed. I didn't know what to do. Honestly, I really struggled. I think you would think that I just, man, there's just, let's go, let's build a building. I did not know if we should do this. I didn't know if it was the right thing. So before you ever saw it for a solid nine months, more than a year thinking about it for a solid nine months, I really sought the Lord and I sought tons of counsel and wisdom. I went to the group of people who built this building and bought this property and said, what was the original vision? I went to a group of men in our church who have a lot of wisdom. I brought it to our, our deacons and I said, guys, what do you think? How should we move forward in this? Our staff then prayed for months about what we should do. 
And we decided at that point to bring it before the church and see what you thought we should do. And, and so we presented this, but before we ever voted on it, we took, we took a, a month for you to pray and seek the Lord. And then 99% of the church said, yes, we should do this. And then we started getting commitments in. And, and then at the end of all of that, I had people ask me this question. Pastor, are you absolutely confident you have heard from God that this is exactly what we're to do? To which I say, no. I'm being serious. Like, I didn't get a verse that we should build a building. I mean, we looked at the demographics of the community and the church and the way in which people come, like all everything we looked. But, but I did not get a word from God. But you know what I got? I got a lot of confidence and a lot of assurance and a lot of wise counsel and a lot of planning and a lot of thought to the point that we should move forward with the confidence that this is what God wanted to do. And if he wants to do something different, I'm totally fine with that. But at some point, you just got to move, right? At some point, you got to move forward. At some point, you got to make a decision and plan. And we cannot be paralyzed by some thought that we're going to miss God. God doesn't work that way. Man, you seek wise counsel. You walk with Jesus. You pray like crazy. And then you just move knowing that if God wants to change the plan, he can. So if you want to ask my one summary of how this works, it works like this. You make your plans and you hold them loosely. And you make your plans, work hard, plan, be thoughtful about everything in your life. Move forward with confidence, but know that if God wants to make a better plan, he can. But at some point, you got to move. We must embrace reality. God is sovereign over all things. You must embrace responsibility, that you have a responsibility before God to plan, to work, to seek God's counsel. And finally, you must embrace rest. You must embrace rest. You just got to take a deep breath. And you got to rest in the good and loving, kind providence of God. You got to rest in the fact that God knows what is best and he will do what is best. That if he changes your plan, it's for good. The book of Proverbs teaches us that the way in which we trust and follow Jesus is we do so thoughtfully and carefully. We seek wisdom and counsel and we make good plans and then we rest in the peace that God has given us that God is doing something good in our lives. We get free from the anxiety. We, we're free from the burden. We get free from the sense that I'm gonna miss what God wants me to do. No, we just walk with Jesus. We walk forward and every step of the way, God is using our plans and navigating them and changing them to do something that only he can do. And if at the end of all of this, thinking about the reality of his sovereignty, the responsibility to plan and then the rest that God has called you to walk in, if at the end of all of that, you still feel this irritating tension between sovereignty and responsibility, I just want to say good and praise God. That's exactly how you should feel. Because the reason that God has made it to work this way is because I have discovered that every time I needed to know the will of God, every time I needed to hear from God, every time I had a big decision, I have found that those seasons of my life have been the seasons of greatest intimacy with God. You know that's true. When a plan didn't work out, when life has not gone the way that you thought it should, God does not want you to grow cynical. He wants you to grow intimate. When you don't know what to do next, 
And God wants you to come to him and listen, it is not just you and the word of God. You desperately need other people in your life to say, let me tell you what I see you're good at and what you're bad at and what I think you ought to do and not ought to do. If you're trying to seek the plan of God and the wisdom of God in isolation, you will most likely miss it. You must find this in the context of a church with people around you who know you and love you. And so you pray and you listen and you humble yourself before God. You just seek the wisdom of God. You examine your heart. You trust Jesus. And then you just know that God does not want you to mess up. He's got good things in store for you. And you walk forward with the confidence that there is a really good and gracious and kind, loving, heavenly father. That has better things for you than you could ever imagine. Things with far reaching implications that you could never plan. So this morning... Some of you need to just trust in the sovereign plan of God. You really need to surrender all of your plans to the Lord and everything you have and say, God, I don't want to hold on to these any longer. Whatever you want, I want the better things that you have. Listen, some of you need to get to work. Some of you need to do something. Some of you need to start moving in the right direction, moving forward, being wise, doing what is right. And all of us, just need a rest in a really good, loving, heavenly father. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.